Oh, my computer crashed. Oh no, I've got a virus. Oh, uh, no way, no internet connection. Do you need help? Call IT Mayday. 647-977-7113. ITMayday.com. Hello there, you're listening to Linda Pinizzato of the Condo Expert. We are here today at the Hayes FM in the studio in Mississauga, Ontario. Got up this morning, I actually thought it was going to be warm outside. It's not. It is freezing. So anybody out there, um, remember to bring your coat because I didn't and I'm cold. <laughs> Anyways, I um, wanted to speak about the real estate legal side of condominiums and, and maybe even touch a little bit on the uh, the real estate market as far as uh what would an individual, whether you're an owner, whether you're a buyer, whether or not uh, you're a seller, you may want to consider some in-depth information from a real estate lawyer. So what better place to get that information than here on The Condo Expert? So today we're going to be having a phenomenal discussion with Sheldon Benjamin of the Law Office of Sheldon Benjamin. And I'd like to welcome you to the show, Sheldon. Well, thank you so much, Linda. It's a real pleasure being here today with you. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure having you. I know we've talked a lot in the past about, uh, you know, different real estate transactions and, and all the different variable things that come to play. So maybe if you'd like to tell our listeners a little bit about the background. I, I know you've been practicing law for quite some time. I have. I have a law firm downtown in Toronto, right on the corner of York and Richmond. But um, the real story here isn't so much about uh, my law firm. The real story here is about um, the real estate market in Toronto, which I find Nothing, yeah, no, nothing <laughs> less than electric. It's, oh. an, it's an incredible uh, adventure to be part of the real estate business in this community. You know, with so much happening, uh, it just seems to me that um, getting the right legal advice at the right time can save people a whole lot of trouble. Oh, absolutely. It's critical. It's totally critical. You know, it's funny because right now, I've, I've said it once before on the show, probably a couple of times on the show, over half of the construction today is condominiums. It is. It is. And I think that um, a lot of the reason that the condominium market is so um, successful and is thriving so much is because of major demographic shifts in the country itself and in the province particularly. Um, when I talk about demographic shifts, I'm referring specifically to age, gender, and racial demographic shifts, which... Uh, are nothing less than fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Well, last week, uh, it's funny, on last week's show, I actually talked about new Canadians and newcomers to the country. And, you know, with the amount of multiculturalism and, and different, exactly what you just said, age demographics, I mean, we needed to provide affordable housing. And, you know, the builders no longer want to build the apartment buildings. They don't want anything to do with apartment buildings. And, the um, high level of profits they can see on condominiums outweighs anything they could possibly do on a rental market. I think it's always been the dream of people in Canada, whether they were born here or whether they immigrated here. It's always been the dream for them to own a home. And with the new uh, changes, not so new anymore, with the changes in the mortgage uh, rules in Ottawa, 
it's become increasingly difficult for people to purchase homes, especially first-time home buyers. And what I see happening is that while there is a, perhaps a shortage of detached homes in the metropolitan Toronto area, there is an abundance of relatively affordable condominium uh, units that are available to first-time home buyers. Absolutely. Well, you know, the thing is, is that I, I guess when I started the Condo Owners Association, one of the big concerns I had was the ever-increasing maintenance fees. And although we have, you know, a strong level still of affordability for people to get into the housing market, if we do not have a, a positive, lucrative move away governance, move forward governance of condo directors and just the entire operating, the operations of condominium, I think that even though we have affordability on prices, What's going to throw it out of whack is increasing maintenance fees. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's a major point. And I think that um, a lot of the times when people are initially buying their first property, what they don't take into account all too often is the um, ongoing expenses of ownership. And I think particularly when people purchase a condominium unit, they're not entirely aware initially of the costs associated with common elements or even the rules that govern the board of directors that can affect whether or not rates or prices go up for their day-to-day um their day-to-day uh, living exactly so you know interesting so you do okay so so somebody turns around and purchases a condominium and uh then of course uh you know the agent arranges for a status certificate okay and and maybe what you can do is give the audience an overview of a status certificate and and the particulars because that is a key element in any agreement of purchase i mean you've got you know a lot more things of checking title and so on and so on but if we go right back to the initial stages of the agreement to purchase and then it's conditional upon the status certificate. That's right. So two things that are three things really I require when I initially take on a new client is an agreement of purchase and sale uh, signed and usually presented to me by a purchaser's real estate agent. The next thing I require... That would be me, by the way. That would be just you. So, yeah, that, just so we know that... that the okay. best real, condo real estate <laughs> agent had, in the to, city. You, I had to stop it there. So that's, <laughs> okay, we'll move forward. <laughs> I, I, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Through you, I would acquire a agreement of purchase and sale. And usually when it's a condominium unit, I'd require two more documents. One would be the status certificate, which you just mentioned, and the other would be the declaration. And status certificate is a very important document that's usually um, forwarded to me by the builder or the owner, uh, the, the builder of the corporation. Uh, the condo corporation. And that document, along with the declaration, provides the specifics with respect to the reserve fund, with respect to um, the parking situation, with respect to lockers, with respect to storage, with respect to fees. It, it breaks down uh, specifics. It, it basically details all the things that we'd previously discussed about the uh, underlying costs of condominium ownership. Now, many times, the declaration, the status certificate, and in general, the maintenance of these condominiums are governed by boards, boards of directors. And these boards of directors don't necessarily, aren't, aren't necessarily comprised of people actually living 
in these condominium units. And it's very important for a new purchaser or for somebody who's getting into the condo market to determine whether or not the board of directors that's governing events at that condominium really has the best interests of the owners at heart. You got it. And that's a tough one. That How do you a, do that? Well, you can't. That's the problem. It, you really, uh, as a buyer, even as an owner, you know, you're almost at mercy of the board of directors. And, you know, and the interesting, the thing that you had just mentioned is, is that like um, the maintenance fees. So just as a for instance, so all of a sudden a buyer has purchased a property. The, you know, you've gone through the due diligence of checking um, the status certificate. You've identified the maintenance fees and what's included. There's nothing on that status certificate that indicates, indicates anything relating to a potential special assessment. Okay. Now, the interesting part is, is while discussions are going on about a potential problem in a building, discussions do not, by the board of directors, do not have to be listed in a status certificate, only an approval of a so-called problem. So in other words, a board of directors could be discussing a problem that they have in the building, that maybe they have a shortfall on the reserve fund of something that needs to be addressed. And from January, February, March, April, maybe eight months, they've been talking about this and they still can't make a decision on it, but they know that it's inevitable. They know that it has to be addressed. They know they don't have the funding. But that wouldn't appear necessarily. Those conversations wouldn't appear in any sort of status certificate. Exactly. Exactly. You got it. And that non-disclosure could be potentially problematic down the road for an interested purchaser. Right. And what if the board of director, one of the members of the board wants to sell their property in July, so they certainly don't want to be putting that in the status certificate. So they want to maybe hold off until October before they put it in the status. I think when you talk about you know, condominium boards, mm -hmm. the same thing applies whether you're talking about a condominium board or uh, a board of directors at a business or even uh, a cabinet in, in the provincial or, or federal government. It comes down to uh, leadership, whether or not the people sitting on the board are A, qualified, and B, have a certain moral compass, uh, a certain integrity. And I think, full disclosure, I sit on the board of directors of my condominium corporation. I want to buy there. I'm going to buy one there. It's, it's fantastic. Honestly. <laughs> I it's, shall sell one to myself. <laughs> it's, uh, you, can, you can, and I'll close the deal for you. <laughs> you got it. What a deal. I love it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> But in reality, I think we have an incredible board of directors. And I'll tell you, the people in our board, and I can only speak from my personal experience, we have a lawyer, we have two engineers, one electrical, one structural, we have an insurance representative, and we have uh, an accountant, a senior accountant. Well, there you go. And I, you know, our board runs like a well-oiled machine, but it runs this way specifically because of the individual expertise of these these members and exactly. and i think that that's you know oftentimes what happens in these condominium boards is that people for whatever reason usually a thirst for power usually uh, driven by personal insecurity they get onto a board and they they feel that they own the world they feel yeah, that they go to town yeah they, they feel that you know they're in charge and you yeah. got to do what they say and mm -hmm. you know and uh, to me leadership and running any successful organization, whether it's a business, whether it's a law firm, whether it's a condominium corporation, to me, true leadership isn't about 
dominating other people. True leadership is about collaboration and doing what's in the best interest of the people that you serve. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and one key thing you said is that, see, if you're a professional and you have a very strong you know, presence in the community with respect to your professionalism and you have certificates and, you know, you could potentially jeopardize your job if you were to turn around and get involved with a condo board. But if you have people that are on condo boards that don't have that kind of a fear, and and I'm not trying to put anybody down, but I'm looking at professionalism and integrity integrity of professionalism. Those are the key uh, words. You know, degrees. I mean, I've been the president of uh, one condo board for 12 years, another one for five years. And the one that I was actually a president of the board for five years, we had two extremely vindictive people that went through the building and they caused so much havoc and lies and deceit. And they actually got enough of their own followers to overturn um, all but me because, of course, um I wasn't up for renewal, but the problem is they did get on the board and then it forced me in a position where I cannot associate myself with those people. So I therefore resigned. And the problem is, is that now they controlled it with forged proxies. So, you know, and, and I hate to say it because one of them is actually a litigation lawyer. So that's sad. I mean, you talk about putting yourself in jeopardy of losing your, your license. And if I wasn't so darn busy... I'd be... You'd pursue it. You you got it. They are so fortunate that I have not pursued it yet, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, and I'm probably in the last person you want to challenge with respect Absolutely. to all of this. You're a go-getter, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, but it's sad, you know, but I'm so glad that you touched on that because um, the maintenance fees, I mean, so if I go back to that, like it's really interesting. So somebody comes along and they purchase a condo and they feel it's fine. And we actually had a letter with respect to this problem where um, the person moved in and the way that an agreement of purchase and sale works, of course, is that if the special assessment has been approved any time prior to the closing, it's still going to be the responsibility of the present owner. However, if it's after the closing, then it is the new responsibility of the new, new owner. owner. That's right. Yeah. So what happened in this particular case was these people took possession in late October, knew absolutely nothing. The status had been checked. Everything was perfectly fine. And by January the following year, they got nailed with $8,000 for each independent unit. And they happened to be one of them. That's that's terrible. And uh, in order to avoid these kinds of problems in advance, I think that the lawyer in addition to checking the status certificate, can go a little bit deeper and a little bit further in terms of talking to the property managers, in terms of actually talking to the presidents of these condo boards, and getting um, at least oral verification that things are above board. I think that, you know, it's such it's nothing to make one extra phone call, just, just to look out for your client and just to make sure that your client's needs and, and uh, interests are protected. And that is a, you know, that is a, as you know, I'm sitting on the Condo Act Review. That is an amazing recommendation to put on the table for the Condo Act Review to make it mandatory, a mandatory disclosure. And as a matter of fact, we put something of that nature on the, on the floor, but we are at the same time, you know, in a room with some service related trades and they may see that as being extra work and they're not getting paid for it. Well, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that's the right analysis. I don't oh, I agree. Th- I don't think it's about, you know, wh- how much can I get or, uh, you know, how much more money can I, you know, squeeze out of somebody because I'm doing a little extra effort. I think 
uh, being successful in business and being successful in life isn't so much about how much you take from others, but rather how much you can give to other people. And for me as a lawyer, going that extra little step, making that one extra phone call in order to protect my client's interests, that could mean $8,000 saved yeah. down the road. Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it, it's nothing, you know, in terms of time, in terms of effort. And so that's something that I I do and that's something mm-hmm. that I you know, will always do is look out for the best interests of my clients. Uh, we suggested almost like a, uh, a disclosure that the minute that there is that kind of a situation out there on the table, that there has to be a disclosure of the actual conversation, you know, provided that it is something that's deemed warranted. Like it's not just a, you know, FYI, let's check this out. It's actually something where the mechanical audit has proven that there's a problem. Maybe the reserve fund study has shown that there's going to be a shortfall. You Maybe know, the, you know, like there's, there's been an engineering report. There's been an investigation on it. There's, there's something that we know it's on the table. It's not a discussion. It's, it's actually, it's a discussion of an initiative that has to be taken within, say, a six month period. I think that's a great suggestion. I think that that's something that needs to be pursued. And I think that policy like this, uh, you know, written into the Condominium Act itself would ensure uh, further protection for, you know, new condominium purchasers. Um, Unfortunately, however, I don't think a lot of board members are versed with the Condominium Act. That's, I don't, oh, you, you hit it. You, you hit the nail right on the head. And, and I really, mm-hmm. you know, I really think, and, and frankly, I'm a bit afraid, you know, when it comes to uh, governing these, these condominium units or these com- condominium corporations, I'm afraid that the people at the top or the people that are running these organizations aren't even familiar with the rules or the laws or the regulations or the statutes that they themselves are representing. And a lot of them, you know what they do is, I mean, COA actually, uh, with the Condo Owners Association, we're going to be moving forward once we, uh, we, we've been so ridiculously busy. Oh but my Linda, God. you've been, you've been oh, working I'm, hand in hand with the, uh, provincial government yes. and, and with the municipal governments as well. well we were, right? COA was, COA was one of the major impacts on the government. I mean, the pressure we put on the provincial government to open up the Condo Act review is outstanding. It took from 2009 until 2012. And we opened that door with that review. And, and it's interesting too, because, you know, it's not really necessarily out there as being a public, you know, knowledge because we're still building the Condo Owners Association in such a short period of time. Look how far we've gotten. It's unbelievable. Do you find that, um, you've had a uh, high level cooperation with the government or has there been an initial resistance and only gradually they've come to see your way of thinking? To some degree, um, we're on the same page. However, the Condo Act Review given, has been put in the hands of the Canada's Public Policy Forum. And uh, they've been commissioned uh, by the provincial government and the Ministry of Consumer Services to basically put together this review. And in the first stage of the review, I have to tell you, I mean, I'm in this room with the majority being service-related trades. And you talk about being the odd man out because we're in the room and, you know, I mean, every recommendation on the table has to do with the health, welfare, safety, long-term sustainability, viability of condominiums for condo owners. That's it. 
But period. There's, there's nothing closed. to do with uh, financial protection or... Um, no, because what happened is, is that then the majority of people in the room are property managers and property management companies and, and you know, I hate to say con lawyers and engineers and, and you know, most service-related trades that over the years... And it's interesting because there is a difference between a real estate lawyer and a condominium lawyer. That's true. Real estate lawyer, you do the transaction and you, you check on the behalf of the buyers and so on and so on or, and or the sellers. Whereas a condominium lawyer, you know, they're dealing with the condominium act Act and things that are going on within the condominium building. So that the more that there's more disputes and non ability for resolutions, it still continues to, to keep the business going for the condo lawyers. So the, the ambiguity of the condo act and changing it for more clarity and more understanding and having much more awareness and knowledge, not only by board of directors, but by condo owners out there, could that potentially hurt the condominium lawyers? Absolutely. Well, those condominium lawyers that you reference usually thrive on uh, litigation. They Absolutely. thrive on disputes. And mm-hmm. the less knowledge that people have, the more often disputes will occur. And the more uh, lucrative practicing condominium law will ultimately be. Exactly. And then they make the statement, and you'll like this one, they make the statement that everybody buying a condominium uh, should use a condominium lawyer, not a real estate lawyer. And that actually came on the table, which is the most asinine thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. I mean, the, the provincial government should be putting together a condo act that is available to multiculturalism so people can read it, understand it, not need a legal degree to be able to know what it is that they're supposed to have protecting them. I, co- I completely agree. I think that the law in general is confusing and inaccessible for a lot of people, especially newcomers. And it's often, uh, you know, newcomers or people that uh, don't speak a lot of English, particularly the Chinese community, the South Indian community, that are purchasing a huge chunk of these the condo market these days. And it doesn't make sense to have a system of rules or system of laws that aren't accessible to the very people whom they're affecting. Absolutely, 100%. Um, With respect to the uh, difference between condominium lawyers and uh, real estate lawyers, yes, real estate lawyers do, uh, of which I'm one, full disclosure, Mm -hmm. we specialize predominantly in closing uh, real estate transactions. So you buy a house, you see your agent. If there's a mortgage involved, uh, you deal with the banks. If you're dealing with a third party uh, between yourself and the bank. You deal with a broker. And then afterwards, we, you bring the agreements to the lawyer and the lawyer closes the deal. Condominium units, uh, or condominium lawyers rather, are different in that they deal with condo boards and that they interpret the Condominium Act. And frankly, they thrive on a lot of conflict. Oh, and, and you know, and that's one thing I'm going to mention is, is that condo corporations at annual general meetings Okay, they appoint the auditor. The board of directors hires the lawyer. So, you know, that the condo lawyer. So the condo lawyer has a direct relationship with the board of directors. Does that direct relationship create a conflict of where the condo owners are all about, particularly if there is a conflicting situation that's going on? Well, and we're going to talk about, we'll talk more about that one. Hold tight. I just got a break for a commercial. You're listening to Linda Pinizzato at the Hayes FM, the condo expert, and we will be right back. Oh, my computer crashed. Oh no, I've got a virus. Oh, uh, no way. No internet connection. Do you need help? Call IT Mayday. 
itmayday.com. So remember, contact coaontario.com. We have a wonderful website. If you're in Toronto, you can go coatoronto.com. And let us hear your comments. We want to help. You're listening to Linda Pinizzato of The Condo Expert. I will be right back. You just hang tight. You'll get more information. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. 